0: I want us to turn to Lamentations chapter 3 as you're sitting there in your living room. And um, I want you to open up your Bible, your Bible app, and just follow along with us. We're going to be looking at two different passages this morning. And it's important because of the volume of Scripture that you take your Bible even more now than at most times. Uh, I recall a story that happened about 20 years ago when one of the Kennedy family met another tragic uh, incident in their life. John F. Kennedy Jr. was in a plane and he was flying and uh, didn't really have his whole license, but he wanted to give his wife and his sister-in-law a flight over uh, their, their home place. And, and so they went out flying, but the weather was bad and the fog came in and he couldn't see. And from what I hear at least. Uh, the people who tell me about flying, the most important thing that you can learn right before you get your license, one of the things you, the most difficult thing to learn is how to fly with just your instruments. Well, he didn't know how to do that. And they met a tragic end, a tragic crash in a fog. And maybe that's where you feel like you are right now. You know, with all the other things you have going on in your life, You're praying for your kids. You're praying for your own finances. You're praying for the things that you need to be going on in your life right now. And then, lo and behold, what comes after that? But a virus, and not just any virus, but one that has taken us by storm. Even in the last couple of weeks, Uh, last Thursday I was talking to my son um, overseas, and I began to figure up about you know per million, what how many people in America really have this virus. And I came to the conclusion that 27 out of a million have it. Well, that was Thursday, and by yesterday, two days later, 61 out of a million have it. You may say, well, that's not very many people, but look how it has doubled, even over doubled, in the last, in just two days. And so we know we're facing something, and we wonder as Christians, how should we face this? Certainly, we need to give respect to what's going on, but also not fear as well. And so that's what this message is about on today, and that is simply this, that we have a God that you can count on. When I think about the series of messages that we've been going over in the last six or seven weeks, seven reasons to trust God. How appropriate has God brought a series of messages to us that would help us during this time of adversity and trial in our life? As I open up this passage we realize, again, just to catch you up, that we said that when you ask God for anything or trust God for anything, you've got to ask yourself three things. In fact, really with anybody. Number one is, can he do it? I can make you all kinds of promises today and say, oh, everything's going to be okay, but you know I'm making promises that really uh, I have no power to keep. But does he have the power? Secondly, Will he? Does he love us enough? Does he have enough grace? Does, is he a giving God? We looked at that last week. And so one of the overriding principles of God's character is his faithfulness, his worthiness of trust. And so as we look at this this morning, we look at the book of Lamentations. And again, I'm going to be looking at two passages this morning because I don't want us to miss something in Hebrews that would really, count, really cause us to miss something about the faithfulness of God that Lamentations really does not explicitly say. And so in the book of Lamentation, uh, lament means to weep. And so this was from Jeremiah, who's called the weeping prophet. And the situation happens, and just to kind of, again, for those of you who are not Old Testament scholars, to bring you the story up to date, is that Jeremiah was writing during a time where Judah which is the southern kingdom of Israel, was in sin. They were in idolatry. God called Jeremiah in particular to preach repentance to the nation of Israel. And when they wouldn't listen, he used the Babylonian king kingdom under Nebuchadnezzar to come in and conquer Israel or Judah and the city of Jerusalem. Now, Jeremiah has been preaching now and preaching now for years. The war has been going on for 18 months, and now Israel has lost the inhabitants of Jerusalem many of them leaving the rubble of the city and going into babylonian captivity among those are daniel <clears throat> excuse me daniel meshach shadrach and abednego those characters that you would find in the book of daniel in fact the book of daniel was written not too long ago, not too long after the book of jeremiah was written we can find it now where jeremiah is actually seeing this rubble before him many of his loved ones, many of the people he knows, leaving town, leaving the city, and off into Babylonian captivity that would last for 70 years. In fact, this passage in this book about the faithfulness of God is like an oasis in the midst of a desert. In fact, we look in chapter 1, verse 1, he says, The city of Jerusalem sits alone. He says it weeps in verse 2. The beauty is gone, he says. Verse 6, it lies, (coughs) excuse me, it lies in dust. Chapter 2, verse 1, Babylonia, Babylon has attacked in 588 B.C., and now it's 586 B.C., and the rubble is there, and the people are leaving. And so we want to look at this uh, this, uh, passage this morning, and then in the book of Hebrews. And as we're looking at Jeremiah, going through many of the things maybe that you're going through today, how did he handle this kind of adversity? How did he know that God was faithful? We want to answer three questions today. Number one, what does it mean? Number two, how can we tell that God is faithful? Number three, how should we respond? Well, what does it mean? I want to read the main passage here in verse 22, it says, of chapter 3. The steadfast love, steadfast, a never-ending, en- never a steady love of the Lord never Ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He's saying, Look, it's just like a manna in the Old Testament that fell from heaven. And the Bible says, God said, Look, you take the manna every day, but don't take too much. I'm going to drop it from heaven every single day. You're going to be fed every day. But if you hold it over to the next day, it'll turn bitter. It'll spoil. It'll make you sick to eat it. Every single piece of manna was good for the day and for that day only. Here it says, Jeremiah is saying, the mercies of God are for today, and tomorrow will be a new morning where new mercies come. They are coming every single morning, and it's enough to meet the day. Well, let's look. He says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. It's my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. He's enough for me, Jeremiah says. Now, he's just coming out of really a pity party, In fact, in the same chapter, chapter 3, right before he begins to talk about the faithfulness of God, here's what he says. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy, though I call and cry out for help. He shuts out my prayer. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe you're feeling that way even right now as you feel like you're locked into your home. You can't even come to church. You can't uh, move about. You're worried about your job, and and you feel like God, maybe you're shutting out your prayers. That's the way this man was feeling before he came to the realization of the faithfulness of God. As we look at this, he begins to come after those verses with, with an idea of remembering the covenant that God has with Abraham and with the Israelites. Now, this goes all the way back to Genesis 15. And we can find how God made a covenant with Abraham to say, I'm gonna always bless you. In fact, as far as the nation as a whole was concerned, that blessing has never ended. For the individual, it was certainly conditional on them following the Lord. And that's what happened to Judah. They were not following the Lord, they were into the secular world with the world of the now. They were uh, into sin, they were into idolatry, they were not paying attention at all to Jeremiah's message. And because individually, it was conditional. Uh, God came in with a judgment, and we will find out later. In fact, right, look with me in these, these verses. Verse uh, 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth, and he goes on to say, Let him sit alone in silence when he is laid upon. Let him put his mouth into the dust. There there may be hope. He goes on to say, God's not going to cast you off forever. He says, look, take your yoke and your youth. And later in the passage, he says that God does not put these things on to us unless it's like a father. And so he's not punishing the nation of Israel necessarily just for their sin, but he's correcting them. And it took a 70-year correction to bring them about. The number one evidence of the faithfulness of God is the nation of Israel. I mean, have you ever met a Hittite, a Jebusite, an Amorite? No, you haven't met them because they've intermarried with other uh, nationalities and other nations, and, but the Jewish person, we can still point them out. Not only in the nation of Israel today, but all over the world, we can find them. Why? Because God has called them out of the nation, and even in the book of Revelation, we can read that the 144,000 Jews during the during the tribulation period that will be preaching the gospel, even in the last days. God is not finished with the nation of Israel. It's the evidence, the greatest evidence of the faithfulness of God. So, what are we talking about? when we're talking about faithfulness? Well, it's defined as simply someone to count on, someone that you can rely upon because that person and their character and their ability is trustworthy. And so our struggles then become that we know what the Bible teaches. And even in the past, we've seen, if we were to be honest, we have seen God's faithfulness all throughout our life and yet we see the circumstances that we're under today. And we take, take our eyes and place them on those circumstances. And because of that, we struggle. Because of that, we're divided. And now we look at the Bible and we say, well, God says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And so how can I tell really that God is faithful? Well, Notice in verse 22 again, he says, Your steadfast love, his love never ends. He says, It's unending, it never ceases. God has poured out like an eternal fountain. He's poured out. And you look up the river and there's more love to come. And then look up in the ocean and there's more love to come. Like the water flowing, always God's love is coming upon us. He says, His mercy. Now, His mercies never end, His never cease. His mercies are good for every day. What is that mercy? Well, we talked about grace last week, and grace is God's undeserved favor to us. It's God giving us things that we do not deserve. Mercy, on the other hand, is just the opposite. God holding back judgment because he loves us. His mercy is holding back any kind of punishment, any kind of judgment, any kind of wrath. He's holding it back every single day in spite of the fact that We're not perfect in spite of the fact that we sin against the Lord, in spite of the fact that we deal and struggle, maybe with idolatry every day of our life in one way or another. But as we look at this passage, there's another passage in Hebrews. And remember, the book of Hebrews was written to Hebrews. It was written to Jewish people. And it it, it lends itself to a great commentary on the book of Lamentations in chapter 3 when it talks about the faithfulness of God. And let me read this to you because there are three things I want you to pick up here on the reasons why we know that God is faithful. In verse 13, And when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no greater one by by whom to swear, he swore by himself. It's referring back to that covenant that I mentioned in Genesis 15 that is with the nation of Israel then, now, and forever. He says, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. He's not only done that with the Jewish nation, but now Abraham is really the kind of the, the spiritual father of the church as well. And thus, Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. <clears throat> for people swear by something greater than themselves, and all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeableness of his character, that guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchanging things, unchangeable, in which is impossible for God to lie. What's it really talking about here? It's saying to us that God made an oath by the only one that that he could make an oath by that was really legitimate. Why? Because he's perfect. He's perfect in every way. It's easy to trust someone's judgment easy to trust someone's wisdom, easy to trust someone that is perfect, and the Bible says, in every way. It says here he cannot lie. It says here that he's unchangeable. Those two things, he's unchangeable and he cannot lie. Isaiah 6, 2, and 3 says this. Above him stood the seraphim, they were angels, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, saying, Holy, 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 Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The one description that God gives himself more than any other characteristic in the Bible is holy. He is a holy God. And so what does that mean to us? That means that God is not gonna lie. He's always gonna remain faithful to us. Titus 1.2, it says, In hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised, before the ages to come. And so we see this, that God is a perfect God. But there's something else here in the book of Hebrews I want you to notice. And that is that God makes promises. And because he's perfect and he cannot lie, he always keeps those promises. We can read about it in verse 13. He says, and made a promise to Abraham. Verse 15, it says, having patiently obtained the promise god has promised things to us in the scripture now not everything that god promised in the old testament to the nation of israel for example is is uh, applicable it's applicable but it's not necessarily a promise to us like we're you know we're the church is the old israel no the church and israel has come together to form the church but all the promises of the New Testament and many, many, many of the promises of the Old Testament as you interpret those um, by, um, by good uh, exegesis and hermeneutics and interpreting the Bible. Um, many of the Old Testament promises are good for us as well. In fact, Numbers 23 says this, God is not a man that he should lie or, a son of, or the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will, be, will it not be, Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? I was reading in my devotions not too long ago in Joshua chapter 21. I just want to throw this verse in. In Joshua chapter 21, we read this verse. After God uh, had come in and given all the land to the nation of Israel, this is way back before uh, our passage in Jeremiah, he says this, Not one word of the good promises of the Lord, that God had made to the house of Israel had failed, not one, but all came to pass. God is a faithful God. He makes promises. For example, he's told us in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, he says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. He says anything in my will, anything. You say, well, you know, what if it's not in His will? Well, obviously the answer uh, is going to be no. And sometimes answers are no. But if it's in His will, you say, well, look, you know, if I've been praying that God would uh, give me a million dollars, how do you know that's in God's will? God's never made you a promise, for example, to give you a million dollars. But some things are in His will. You have maybe an offspring on drugs. It's God's will that they get off the drugs. And so that's something that you can pray for. You look and you realize that God uh, is not willing that any would perish, but all would come to repentance. We know that we can pray for everyone's salvation. So many things in the will of God that we can pray for. The Bible also says, My God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Scripture te- teaches us in Matthew 28, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, I don't give you things for calamity and for harm, but rather to give you a future and a hope. There are all kinds of promises in the Scriptures that we can claim. God makes promises to us, and it's up to us to say, what is in the Bible that is a promise? And can he write it upon my heart? Can he make it true in my life? Yes, he can, because it's promised in the Bible, and he never breaks a promise. And so we see his perfection. We can see also his uh, promises. Then thirdly, in this passage, we can see his permanence. Verse 18, so that two unchangeable things in which God is possible to lie. It says God's, God's unchangeable. Verse 17, it says the unchangeable character of his purpose. He guaranteed it with an oath. He said, well, that means God's stubborn. Yes, he is. And it's a good thing that he is. How would you like it that if God made promises they didn't keep because he changed? He just decided that he was going to change. How, how is it tough, for example, for a family to have a, a dad, a husband that would change careers every year, every couple of years? One day, you know, it's like a the old reruns of Beverly Hillbillies. Jethro Bodine, he wants to be a streetcar conductor one day and brain surgeon the next. You know, he, he goes to school and to become a physician and then he thinks halfway through, no, I don't want to do that. I want to go over here and I want to uh, start a business, a cleaning business, Well, he gives up on the cleaning business, and he goes over here and says, I want to sell real estate. No, he goes over here and says, I've decided to sell insurance. And the the family's moving from place to place all the time, and dad's ever-changing, ever-changing. Now, you and I know that we do change. In fact, the whole world changes. It's been said that you cannot step into a river in the same place twice. Think about that. Everything's changing. Our world is changing. We have technology. Uh, somebody said I think it was a friend of mine, Jay Strack, said the world knowledge doubles every four or five years. And we see that true. It be true. In our years ago, we would not be able to have this kind of service on Facebook. It didn't even exist. We see the knowledge growing. We see people changing as they grow older and they have the empty nest. Well, they make some changes there. They go through maybe a change of life or a midlife crisis. They, they change. Young people grow up. I tell you, sometimes uh, we, had, we had somebody, in fact, uh, not too long ago, come back to our church that went here as a child several years ago, and I couldn't believe how much she grew up. Man, what happened to the time? You know, my goodness, you know, how, how in the world can somebody uh, grow up like that? And of course, I never change, you know, right? (laughs) And you never change. But we know that's not true. We grow older and things change in our life. In fact, we yearn. There's something about the human uh, heart that yearns for something not to change. Where does that come from? Where does it come from when we say, well, I'm just glad we had some hymns this morning? I mean, after all, we, we don't want to give that up. Or, uh, you know, somebody says, uh, you know, wow, you know, we don't want to bring our, our laptop to church or our phone and just use the Bible on our phone. We, we need the leather in our hands. What, what are we saying? We say, look, there's changing going on in the world everywhere I go, and I yearn for something just to be stable. Where does that come from? It, it can only come from something that God has placed in our heart to say, I, you want, you desire an unchangeable foundation. And that is only with God. He is the only one that doesn't change. So, well, that means, you know, again, God is stubborn, but there's nothing wrong with a stubbornness because, it, <clears throat> excuse me, it gives consistency in life. One of our members, uh, when I first came here, I was talking to one of our members, and uh, his children had grown up really, really well. And, uh, you know, real respectful. They were all following the Lord. And I just asked him one time, I said, well, what's the secret? And he said, just be consistent. So I took that advice, and I was consistent. And if you were to ask my kids today, you know, well, um, tell me about your dad. I hope they would have some good lies to tell, some good things to say. I, I don't know, but I think they would. But one of the things they'd probably say, well, he's kind of stubborn. It comes across as stubbornness when you're just consistent, but we yearn for that. We, we have to have that in our life. Otherwise, how would it be for a, a dad to lay down the rules and then, and then not follow them? See, God wants to pl- place us and says, here's the boundaries, here's the safety net. I'm unchangeable in that. We all yearn for that. I mean, even uh, at funerals. I remember uh, when we used to have all our funerals at Legacy Hall, and we still have them, many of them There. But I remember when I first came here, I was in the atrium or the foyer of that building, and the doors, of course, are opening up, and, and they even opened them up for a few minutes for people to come in, and uh, they were signing the register, and I was greeting people, and I looked out on the, on the highway or the road right in front of us, and I saw these cars passing by, and I said, you know, that's, that's just something, you know, it seems like with a funeral, people all just pause their life, take the day off, you know, like something like that. But they don't. You know, life just keeps going even though it's ever-changing. You know, somebody said uh, they thought that maybe the reason a lot of people got married is because they, they wanted somebody to mourn at the funeral, at least pause, you know, at least, at least maybe take the rest of the day off, you know, or something. But we yearn for that, but it, it's ever-changing. But God is foundational. It's called immutability, the unchangeableness of God. And because of that, His promises are yes. His promises are sure. And so how do we respond to this? Well, we look, and the Bible tells us that we ought to, first of all, Jeremiah says, to trust him. Just take a, a moment, and I'll come back to Hebrews for one verse in just a few moments. But notice what he says, even in verse 31 in Lamentations 3. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he caused grief, he will have compassion According to the abundance of a steadfast love, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. He says it's okay. God, God has this wisdom about him, and he knows when to afflict and when not to afflict. He knows when to allow things in our life in order to help us to turn to him, as in the case of the Israelites, or to mature in him. He knows how to put the pressure on and how to take the pressure off. You know, here's the thing, I. I, I could say to you today, again, that, oh, everything's going to be all right. In fact, you know, if it were up to me, I would just take this virus away today. And that's what I'm praying for. But nevertheless, if I had the power, that's what I would do. But here's the thing. I, I can't do that. Nor do I have the wisdom to do that. I don't know when the right timing is. God knows the right timing. We can trust him. And he's like, in these passages, say, saying to, Jeremiah is saying, he's like a wise father. He knows when to discipline. It's not that he doesn't do it without a heart. It, it's not that he doesn't do, do, do these things in our life without a purpose, some kind of purpose in mind. We look back and, and what we faced already during this century, and many people will say, well, well the preponderance and, uh, of, uh, and the plethora, I guess I should say, of, of the things that we've been through in this century, you know, maybe this is signs of the times, you know, the signs of the second coming could be we had Y2K. Remember that? The turn of the century, everything was going to go dark, and, uh, you know, the, the chips weren't down, thank God, and didn't didn't happen that way. A 9-11 crisis just a, a year or so later. We've had a recession. You've lost loved ones during this time. You've had sorrows. You've lost jobs. You've had financial setbacks. The stock market has uh, been not good to us three different times during this century. And so you look at this and you say, well, well, then how can I, I trust him? When he says, the Lord's my portion. He's my inheritance. He's all that I need. He's everything that I need. We've come to, the, we come to the point in our life in saying, God, I don't have to have all those things. I just have to have you. How dependent have we become on things in our life to bring happiness in our life when the truth is, you can list four or five things in your life. You say, God, if you just give me these five things, I'll be happy. But really, if it depends on those five things, you won't be happy because God could give you every single one of those and there'd be something else that's just not there, some other trial that happens in life. You can trust him because he, he comes at it with the fatherhood of God. He even says in 2 Timothy, great comforting verse, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Second thing we need to do is be faithful ourselves, which is what he's doing. He says, the Bible says, it is required of a steward, steward that he be found faithful. We, we, are, we just keep trusting in God. He says, keep waiting on me. Remember what he has done in our life, that thanksgiving in our heart. We need to be faithful in order to re- endure the promises and receive the promises of God, as it has uh, told us here in this passage, He says, "The Lord is good to those who wait for Him." Verse twenty-five, to the soul who seeks Him. Remember what we said in Hebrews eleven six. It all it all kind of comes together, doesn't it? The Bible says, "It's impossible to please God without faith." For he that comes to God must believe that He is, and He is a rewarder of those who diligently what is it seek Him. It's all coming together. Well, then. We need to be secure in him. In Hebrews, it talks about it here and uh, all throughout the rest of the passage. In verse 55, I called on your name for the Lord at the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you, and you said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. He finds security in the Lord in spite of everything that he's, that he's seeing at the very beginning of this chapter, we see him, people packing up their belongings and going into slavery, leaving the city. The city around him is in rubbles, and he doubts God. Now he comes to the place of saying, God is faithful. God has heard my cry, and he's going to answer my prayer. And he did so 70 years later as God rebuilt the walls through a guy by the name of Nehemiah, rebuilt the temple, and they started worshiping again. But it had, we had, they had to wait. They had to wait. Um, Hebrews 6.19, another great verse. It says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Earlier, I think in this series, I brought this little illustration out, and I went through it very quickly. But when you have a boat, my brother-in-law has a boat, and we we take it out sometimes to the lake on vacation. He drops anchor, and so we won't be floating away. Something at the bottom of the lake has to grab hold of something down there in order for us uh, not to float. And so it's an anchor. Now, something about an anchor, you not only need the anchor itself to go down and, and hook to something, but the chain needs to be attached to the thing you're trying to anchor. Now, the imagery that we have here is one of a sailing type or boat, fishing boat type of, uh, of imagery, of illustration that they're trying to give. And he's saying this, look, when the temple was built, there was a place called the holy place. And it's the only, the, the, only the priests could go into the holy place. They had the bread and they had little uh, ceremonial things that they did But then inside the holy place, if you remember, there was the holy place. And in the holy place was the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat. And here was stood for the presence of God. It was the presence of God in the nation of Israel. And what would happen is that the high priest, one time a year, would go behind the veil and make a sacrifice for the nation of Israel for the coming year. Blood sacrifice, right there on the mercy seat. Well, they would tie a rope onto the priest, and the rest of the priest would let him go behind the the veil. And if something happened that he died, and if he touched the ark, he would die. But something else, a heart attack could happen, he could just die. They couldn't go back there to get him. And so they would tie a rope onto him and drag him out. Now, we don't know that ever happened. No indication in Scripture That ever happened, but they did so just in case to prepare. Well, the Bible gives this imagery of hooking that anchor and wrapping it around the Ark of the Covenant. God is an anchor for us and it's tying the chain like you would tie it onto a boat, it's tying the chain onto us. And that is our security in Him. We are stable in the midst of the storms on the outside we can remain stable in the midst of all the adversity that's going on inside of our mind, inside of our heart. We can remain stable as we're anchored to God himself. And he says, his portion, he is my portion. That's the key to the whole passage. He's saying to us that God's my inheritance, he's enough. I I don't have to have the city. I don't have to have even the priests around. I don't have to have all these other things going on, all the, all the uh, material things that we had just a few months ago. I just need Jesus. I just need the Lord. In his case, the Lord, God. And we say today, God, I trust you. I trust you. JFK was caught up in a fog. I know of another story where a man... Um, was taking a vacation at a lake, and he goes out, and he th- thinks to himself, you know, I'm just going to take a morning swim. He-, he just didn't realize what lake life was all about. He just went there every once in a while and uh, rented a cabin on a lake. And so he goes out, and he begins to swim, and not thinking at all that there was fog. And he got out to the middle of the lake, and he turned around, and he didn't know which way to go. He couldn't see. He had no instrument. He had nothing there, no instrument panel to guide him. And he just began to wade water. And he'd swim one way, and then he thought, this can't be right. He'd go another direction, oh, this just can't be right. And he finally just started crying out with everything he had. Somebody help me. Somebody help me. And his wife woke up, got worried about him, walks out to the lake with a flashlight She hears his voice in the distance, and she begins to flash the light and call his name. And he followed the light, and he followed the voice into safety. You and I feel like we're in a fog. We have no idea what the future is going to hold for us, and we never do. But right now, it, it it looks like it's a little threatening to us. Where's the instrument panel? Where's the instructor that's going to get us out of that? It's God himself. He is the light of the world. As he cries out and calls us by name, we can trust him. We can trust him with all of our heart. Now, maybe you're here today and watching, or rather you're watching by television today and by the Internet, and you're thinking to yourself, well, it seems like to me as I look at this, the promises are really made to the church, to believers, individual believers, not necessarily the institution, but individual believers. So if I'm a believer, I can trust this. Yes, you can. You can trust Him. But if you're not a follower of Christ, you're not, you're not, you've never been born again, you've ne- you're not a believer right now, then God is still calling your name. He is the light up on the dock. He's the one telling you, hey, you're in a spiritual fog. You don't know where heaven is, where hell is. You don't know where judgment is, where the blessings are. You don't know, have direction in life. You don't have God's wisdom in your life because of the sin in our life. And if the nation of Israel, nation of Judah, had repented, all of that would not have happened to them to teach them something. Don't go. Don't, don't let yourself go that far. Don't let yourself hit a bottom at all. You can trust Christ today. You can make him Lord of your life today. You can trust him as your Savior and Lord, and your life will be anchored, anchored, the Ark of the Covenant, anchored to the very heart of God. It's already anchored there, and the chain's out. Now all you have to do is reach up, take the chain, and attach it to yourself so you will be safe. With heads bowed and eyes closed right now, I'd like to pray with you. And there in your home, wherever you are, if you would just uh, bow your head with me and maybe you've never received Christ into your heart, I want to invite you to do that right now by praying this prayer with me, silently as I pray aloud. You know, the words are not the most important thing, but they are important. Asking God to forgive your sins and come into your heart. Would you pray with me now? Lord God, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for going to the cross and dying there for my sins. I open up the door of my heart, and I ask you to come in. Forgive me of everything that I've done. I make you Lord of my life. Lead me now. Secure me in you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at CrossLifeChurch.com.